Abolition. Abolition. What do Syria, Sri Lanka, Yemen, Iraq, Ukraine and the former Yugoslavia have in common? They're all places that have recently suffered through some of the worst civil wars in modern history. Violent upheavals that have ultimately killed or displaced millions of people. While most Americans have watched from afar. But a political scientist who has studied those civil wars and been to many of those countries says that the United States is now on a path to joining them. Sounds crazy, right? On this show, we talk a lot about coups and insurrections and domestic extremism. But at what point do we even consider speaking seriously about the next level? Because worse than all of those things is open, bloody, violent civil war. Barbara Walter is a professor of international relations at the School of Global Policy and Strategy at the University of California, San Diego. She joins me now and I'm delighted. I mean, when, when we look at the research, it's frankly frightening. And, and you conclude that the U.S. is, quote, closer to civil war than any of us would like to believe. How close? Well, I've been studying civil wars for the last 30 years across the globe. And in fact, the last four years, I've been on a task force run by the CIA that tries to predict where outside the United States a civil war, political violence, and instability is like to, like, likely to break out. And we actually know now that the two best predictors of whether violence is likely to happen are whether a country is an anocracy, and that's a fancy term for a partial democracy, and whether ethnic entrepreneurs have emerged in a country that are using racial, religious, or ethnic divisions to try to gain political power. And the amazing thing about the United States is that both of these factors currently exist, and they have emerged at a surprisingly fast rate. There's a ladder of escalation that, frankly, as a former CIA officer, I used to watch in terrorist groups abroad. You know, how does a young man in the middle of Iraq go from being, you know, a shopkeeper to a terrorist? Well, there's a ladder of escalation, and I never thought that I would be using those skills to watch extremism in my own country. And there are multiple armed groups. Take the Boogaloo Boys highly suspicious of the authorities and the media, but who agreed to meet us in North Michigan. They say they're not supremacists, just fighting government tyranny. But in the last few weeks, they're among several outfits purged from social media as part of a crackdown on militarized groups. We watched them preparing, they said, for civil war.
This is tyranny. When do we get to use the gun? No, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not, that's not a joke. I'm not saying it like that. I mean, literally, where's the line? How many elections are they going to steal before we kill these people? on U.S. Civil War is coming, and that was accompanied by and followed by Guns N' Roses' Civil War. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program 
with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org and on all major podcast platforms. We're also simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. What's going on, brother? Peace, Yusuf. I'm here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in South Carolina. Well, last week we discussed the system of modern enslavement as it affects U.S. descendants of slaves or the enslaved. The false narratives, the systemic traps, the criminalization processes, and the racial disparities uniquely overrepresented in black communities. We were joined by the director of Decarcerate Louisiana, Curtis Davis, and he spoke on the Louisiana Abolition Bill, HB 298. It's passing through its first committee hearing on May 16th. Well, today we face the issue of the potential civil war as it is and not as we want it to be. We'll let you hear, like you just did, what we've heard and listened to what the experts are saying. We'll also let those calling for a civil war speak for themselves, from police to the president, in their own damning words. We've got powerful music to match, and we'll bring the words of our wise abolitionist ancestors back to life for a new generation and our Bridging the Gap segment. They have so much, uh, they have left so much to teach, or they have so much to teach, and you're going to learn today for sure. So before we get started, Max, tell us what you think of the opening track, and how's your week been? Um, that was a powerful opening track. We got right to the point. Uh, that was Barbara Walters speaking. Is a, She's a former FBI, uh, uh, CIA agent, and it was her job mm-hmm. to work with a task force to determine where various civil wars will occur and what are the prerequisites? What should you be looking for? They had a program set up and everything for this, like a computer program as well as the experts on it. And now they're looking at America saying that's where we're headed. And then you also hear people openly calling for when can they kill us? Like when do we get to right. use the guns? When do we get to kill people? <clears throat> that's not protected by the First Amendment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're talking about killing right. real human beings. And uh, this is what they're saying right now. They're preparing for a civil war. It goes all the way back to the uh, preppers and all of that. And, of course, the song is a classic, and it, it shows you that you're listening to a different type of station because we got Guns and Roses in the house. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like, we've been playing right. it all, and it all fits. You know what I mean? Guns and Roses said, uh, he said, the way we've always done before, right? Mm-hmm. It is the way we've always done. We keep doing this over and over again. History repeats, and the Civil War feeds the rich while it buries the poor. Isn't that the truth mm, of it mm, all mm. right there? You got these it, people it really is. Fortunes, they ain't going to be out there fighting, but they'll watch you do it. They'll watch you mask. And, you know, I, I love the line where he said, uh, you can't trust freedom when it's not in your hands. You know, right. when someone else determines your freedom – and how free are you really? You know, so that's something to really look at. And, you know, I always think of uh, War Pigs by Black Sabbath. You know, if you ask me what's my favorite rock song, I'm going to say probably War Pigs. And that's what uh, 
Ozzy Osbourne says in his lyrics, you know, it's sort of like, you know, they don't send their children off the war. They leave that for the poor, <laughs> you know, but we're not talking about the war. We're talking about the actual bloodshed, the taking of the freedoms and the, and the pending civil war. And in fact, you know, we've named this current broadcast, we named it Uncivil War as, you know, when you just talk, when someone says, you know, when can we start shooting? They're talking about randomly shooting people. There's no mm-hmm. civility in that. You know, there's no civility. You know, see, when you they have a country, they want yes. where's the civility in that? Or old men Where stabbing them in the back with swords. Right. Women so, in the face, slashing their necks. That's not civil. Right. So I'm glad you called it uncivil war. Yeah, it's anything but civil. They just killed, God just killed 19 children uh, in a school. And, uh, you know, that's a story we're going to get into later about how the police screwed that all up. But also we just had, before we could even remember the names of the people who were killed in Buffalo, there was 20, 21 people dead in another shooting, you know? And that was a target on us. It was a soft target. But it went to a supermarket where old women was normally shopping, and the guy had already surveilled it at least a month in advance, so he knew what he was up against, and went in there with mm-hmm. old military gear on, including a bulletproof vest, which is the reason he's breathing right now, because the guard there, former policeman who was also working on a gasless engine, he shot this guy. Unfortunately, it hit his vest and didn't kill him, and he ended up killing the guard, who didn't have a vest. Right. So it's very uncivil. They're going after babies. They're going after our elderly. They're going after the poor and the unprotected uh, everywhere you look. Right. So a lot of things happening this week. Uh, the uh, state operations meeting from, uh, what was that, yesterday? The days go by so, so fast. Was that yeah, yesterday? Yeah. yeah, so much be happening. That was yesterday, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a pretty big uh, thing. We do that every week, but we're really gearing up right now with elections coming up in November. Uh, the world don't know yet, but we know. Like, right. They're doing it every day. Uh, you was with us this week because you're joining us in Vermont. Uh, right. There's about five, four or five states going to Vermont to help them there in Juneteenth and do a national presentation. And we were planning for that as well as the events that are going on across the country on Juneteenth to counter the narrative of Juneteenth being a celebration when slavery ended. <laughs> like, wow, how can you say that with a straight face, man? Right. Well, it's so, a lack of education. Most people just don't even know. Many people are just coming into the knowledge of Juneteenth, especially those that are not from the South, you know, uh, Myself included, you know, it was around 2015, 2016, the first time I'd ever heard of Juneteenth, you know, exactly. and that was in the midst of me already, you know, being a slavery abolitionist. I had never heard of the term, you know, but, you know, now knowing the history and how it's tied to the Emancipation Proclamation and what was that, General Granger going into Texas yes. and making the announcement that, that those in the South were free. But it didn't free those that were enslaved in northern states. It only applied the Emancipation Proclamation only applied to ten states, and it was in it was Lincoln's those states effort. In rebellion. And, 
right? Those states in rebellion, that's a better way of saying it, Mm -hmm. of bringing them back into the union. So it was a compromise that was made. And then we know historically, you know, no sooner than that happened, you know, that's when convict leasing started happening, you know, so uh, nothing changed. And so, therefore, when people are sitting here in 2022 and all of the celebrations that are going on and, you know, they have the uh, Juneteenth ice cream, uh, big fiasco that's been going on with Walmart and a couple of other retailers, and I think you have something about a, a gentleman that you wanted to talk about, you know, with this guy uh, wanting to, uh... yeah, it's no big. It, it's a big story, but it, it, it's only an example of the deviousness, the just straight up careless evilness of it. Like we just screw a whole group of people over with no second thoughts whatsoever, and that's that right. ice cream. If you look at the ice cream photo, you'll see that it has a TM next to the word Juneteenth, and if you don't know, TM means trademark, and the mm-hmm. corporation that is trying to trademark the word Juneteenth as a flavor is owned by a white man. <laughs> so he, he's like, I'm, hell, this Juneteenth ain't going to be big. I'm going to go ahead and trademark it right now. Yeah, well, we we knew this. We, we knew this, in fact, since last year when they made Juneteenth a federal holiday on the same day that the proposed 28th Amendment to Remove, repeal and replace the exception clause of the 13th Amendment happened, we said then, we said, you know, they're going to find a way to monetize this. You know, we were talking about, you know, the Juneteenth mattress sales and all of the things that they do with most, you know, of these uh, quote-unquote holidays that they have. You know, so it doesn't surprise me that this is going on. But we both uh, digress, right? We have a much more uh, – uh, in-depth topic to cover this evening, and that's this pending civil war that I hope we're wrong about. I hope we're wrong, Max. There is some things left for the Juneteenth to to mention. You know, you was leading up to it, but you didn't actually get to it. So let me get to it. Uh, As you said, a lot of people didn't know there was such a thing as Juneteenth until recently, right? So doesn't it seem Mm -hmm. strange that out of nowhere in 2021, with only uh, two days' notice, the President of the United States would say, you know, I'm going to make Juneteenth a holiday. Well, most people don't even know what it is. What what would do that? What happened is that was to counter the narrative that we had been building up about slavery abolition. We had planned in advance to have a big press conference that day with Senator Merkley out of Oregon as one of the sponsors, Mm -hmm. Nikki Williams out of uh, Georgia as the congressional sponsor, and many others were going to speak. And we did do all of that, but it was completely outshined by a brand-new holiday for black people who didn't even know they had one until just now. (laughs) It was done to counter what we were doing, to downplay Mm -hmm. it. We were literally telling the country – in this big press conference that slavery is legal, y'all, it never really actually ended. All you got to do is look at what's going on with these prisons and these jails and these detention centers and encounter bodies and look at the racial aspect, and you'll see it like everybody else sees it, including the forced labor and all that goes with that. That's what we were announcing. And on the other side, the Democratic Party, not the Republicans, the Democrats undercut us with, guess what, y'all? Let's go ahead and celebrate the end of slavery today. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> oh my God. So now you got newscasters right now on 
television talking about when Juneteenth celebrates the end of slavery, uh, the unofficial end of slavery, when the last enslaved people were told that they were free. <laughs> Is that how it worked out? So this year, we working with our federal uh, uh, efforts. We're going to have a billboard put in Galveston, Texas, that says uh, it has pictures, like four pictures of slavery as it went from chattel slavery all the way to mass incarceration today with like an image of the uh, overseers on horseback in, in Angola while black people working in the fields. And then it's going to say, end the exception with the dot com underneath it. So people right in Galveston, Texas will be able to see that. Uh, I right. proposed that we change the narrative a little bit. We got a national mm-hmm. holiday. I ain't hating on that. I could always use another day off, right? <laughs> and yeah, the reason with pay, yeah like, I'm off with pay tomorrow. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not but, gonna front like I'm not happy. But rather than telling a lie about how this ended slavery was the, the day that all the last slaves were freed, let's do what our ancestors did. The first thing they did was go looking for their family members uh, who had been sold off to these nuts, and slavers, and sociopaths. Uh, so let's mm-hmm. make it about a family reunification and community uh, unification instead of about celebrating something that did not happen. Because contrary to pro- popular belief right now, we have the largest prison population that's ever existed on planet Earth. And there's no way in hell anybody in this country is going to tell me they're celebrating freedom with that going on. Right. And on top of that, you know, when we talk about the prison system, there are people that are in prison where their families don't even know where they are. So even that is identical to what went on during chattel slavery. Right. Imagine that, man. You out in Milwaukee where one more than one in two black men are serving time in prison talking about, yeah, freedom, Juneteenth. <laughs> like more than one or two of y'all are in prison right now, and you're talking about freedom, huh? Okay. So, yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about reunification with our family members and our community, mm-hmm. uh, a reason to come together that's not Thanksgiving, where we're not celebrating some bloody Thursday. Instead, we're celebrating what our families did and following in their footsteps of the ancestors and trying to find our people and bring them together. My dream as a grandfather right now is to see all of my kids and grandkids together just once. You know what I mean? Like, it would be a great reason to do that for us. For sure. For sure. All right, so now we can get off Juneteenth. I got that out there. <laughs> but yeah, so you're right, man. Back this, to the Civil this War. Clear and present danger. It's a clear and present danger. Yeah. And you know, just just hearing, you know, I, I like what uh, Barbara Walter, and that's Barbara Walter out of the uh, University of uh, Santa. What is it? San, did she say UCSD or UCSB? It's either San Diego or Santa Barbara. You know, UC, I, I couldn't tell if she said UCSD or UCSB, but uh, I didn't want anyone to confuse that they were thinking that was Barbara Walters, you know, the well-known uh, journalist. No, it's not her. No, not that one. This is the CIA agent, Barbara Walter. Uh, right. Well, I no don't know. S. The other Barbara Walter might have been a CIA agent, too. I don't know. But hey, this is the exactly. one who admits it, okay? <laughs> right. And so, you know, she just has all kinds of videos. She's been everywhere, like, making her rounds, just showing how civil wars start. You know, and we know with CIA involvement, I mean, 
she would know firsthand because of the civil wars that the CIA plays its role in in other parts of the world, you know, with destabilizing, you know, sovereign governments. If we look at Afghanistan and how Afghanistan and many of the countries that broke off from the former USSR, you know, and the CIA went in and armed, you know, the militias like the Taliban and trained them and uh, helped them to break off from USSR and just, you know, broke up that unity of, I think, about 30 different countries. So she would know. You know, that's why I say all of that to say she would definitely know what's going on. And she's seen this many times over. And so she sees what's happening here, and she sees the level of viciousness behind it. You know, when you have someone that you can just stand up uh, and just say, when can we start shooting these people? You know, that's bold to just straight out say that. And as you mentioned earlier, that's not protected by the First Amendment. Yeah, to that's say something like that. So, yeah. and that's the common thing. Even Trump recently has put out tweets that are basically can be seen as calling for a civil war. <clears throat> he retweeted something on their uh, Truth Network. Uh, oh, man, <laughs> why do they always do that? Like they're the exact opposite of the things that they always name themselves: freedom, truth, right. real Americans. Uh, for your rights, all of these different things yeah. that they are totally against. Fox, Fox News nuts. called fair and yeah. Fox News is fair, fair and, and balanced, balanced right? <laughs> uh, yeah, the white supremacy central is called fair and balanced. Okay, but he tweeted out the most powerful country in the world is falling so fast that it makes you rethink what are the real reasons something so big and powerful can't be destroyed so quickly unless the enemy comes from within. He's basically saying that, you know, we have the country of traitors, and he's pointing at the Democratic Party in particular. Mm-hmm. And when you point at the Democratic Party, again, like we mentioned last week, 88% of black people are Democrats. So you're pointing right. at all the black people, whether they want to be right. or not. Uh, and you're saying right. that that's the enemy that's coming from within. And then you got people out there following up on what you're saying by bringing violence to those very people. Which ain't new for us. It ain't new at, at all. all. We are new. so tired of it now. It's 2022. God, man, give it up already, will you? <laughs> like what? I might have so, lost words. I mean, we, we, yeah, we. In fact, we don't need to speak anymore. You know, as we promised, let's let's let them say it themselves. All right. Let's you know, do that. that way let's... people know that it's not us saying this. This is what they're saying. So, this is what this uh, yeah, go. let's roll out the next track. All right. Uh, this is Trump incites civil war leading to terrorist attacks. And it's followed by Vic Mensa Shelter featuring Wycliffe Gene and Chance the Rapper. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. Barbara Walter is a professor at the University of California in San Diego. She has studied civil conflict for years from Yugoslavia to Northern Ireland. Experts who study civil wars and know the warning signs, we've been talking about them, but nobody um, wanted to believe it. And January 6th made it impossible to deny and ignore that there really was this cancer growing in our own country. Oh, 
was a threat that was mobilizing. She warns the constant barrage of lies undermining American elections from right-wing media, on social media, and from Trump himself has put the United States on a perilous path. Citizens do believe what they are hearing, and if they hear it long enough and consistently enough, and if that's all they hear, they absolutely don't think it's a lie. They think it's the truth. One of his responses that got significant attention was him tweeting a quote from one of his top evangelical faith advisors about his impeachment leading to a possible civil war-like fracture. This was notable because the president actually has a track record of suggesting that if things do not go his way, that he and his supporters could respond violently. Hillary wants to abolish, essentially abolish, the Second Amendment. By the way, and if she gets to pick, if she gets to pick her judges, nothing you can do, folks. Although the Second Amendment people, maybe there is, I don't know. You know, I've said for a year and a half, we are in a cold civil war in this country, and Trump has brought that cold civil war, and every day brings it closer and closer to ignition. Wilmington, North Carolina cops were caught on a police audio recording saying a new civil war was necessary to wipe black people off the map, longing to, quote, start slaughtering them and using the N-word repeatedly. Quote, I can't wait. God, I can't wait. Jingle when hummus pass. Brisk when summer's done. Winter is coming fast. And then they 
Zoom teacher wonder why they don't come to class The internet been out, the hot water been out She moved to her aunt's house, then to her friend's couch The abuser went to jail, but that nigga been out Producer was in-house, they closer than pen pals Homeless in the home of the slaves, I wonder how that would feel The manifested destiny, a bunch of land they could steal Think about Kenneth Walker and Philando Castile How they only wanted to protect their family While it's niggas out here that make it worse for they folks It's a deeper how to hell for the worst of these folks It's a mystery, we never heard the murder she wrote If we finally paid her back, the whole earth to be broke An 18-year-old motivated by hate killed 10 people and wounded 3 others In a mass shooting, he live-streamed on social media It happened at a supermarket today The suspect has been identified as Peyton Gendron This is video from his arraignment earlier this evening Police say he was wearing body armor and military-style clothing when he pulled up to Topps Friendly Market and opened fire, first in the parking lot and then inside of the store. He reportedly had the N-word written or etched on one of his weapons. And police say he posted a manifesto online filled with white supremacist ideology. My niggas doing life with no possibility of parole You playing Fortnite, that's how long he's spending a whole life from death row Free my nigga Julius Jones I had a dream that Mumia was home I speak freedom in song Cause all I see is racist faces Where hate lives and they rape kids in cages What kind of nation? Lynch, Elijah, my clan They sent us to the Middle East to die for the flag They drive us insane to sell us medication We demand reparations and they tell us have patience Instead of cash payments we get minimum wages They give us the black plague and send us a white savior I found faith when I lost hope That's when Julius reminded me of a bar I wrote Behind bars on the yard where they dream of the street On death row singing we could be free We could be free today with Max Parsons and Yusuf Hassan. You just finished listening to a clip of Trump inciting civil war leading to terrorist attacks, and that was followed by Vic Mensa, Shelter, featuring Wyclef Jean, and Chance the Rapper. Max? Man, um, what he was saying in the song, I'll be your shelter, you got to be that for Mm -hmm. your family now. Like, you got to really be that rock for your family now. you got to keep your eyes open, not just your immunity. Anywhere you're around, try to be pay attention to your surroundings because they have shown what they're capable of and what they're willing to do. And it's not they're not going to go to the places where a bunch of men would be armed. You know, they're going to go to the weakest places they can find, thinking that they can get away with killing babies and old people and the sick and right. uh, all of that. I mean, we should have volunteers right now guarding our schools, you know, put in an hour a day, 
eight people doing that. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Putting in an hour a like, day. Like a prayer here. service. Like a prayer service at Mother Emanuel Church. Yes. Don't just let them do it, man. And then cry afterwards. Let's, let's be proactive in this right now. Um, we don't have to go to war, but we got to go to defense <laughs> at the very least. Right. Um, I'm not a proponent of violence, but I'm certainly a proponent of defense. You know? I, and you can right. hear it. They you got to defend defense. yourself. You're talking, you heard the woman repeating what was the cops said on tape in the police department while in uniform, talking about how they want to wipe black people off the face of the map. How a genocide will put us back two or three generations, and that'll, that'll fix us. And they can't mm-hmm. wait for the Civil War that somehow they got the memo. They got the memo, and we don't have the memo. But they got the memo that is going to happen. And, it's yeah. not and these are people. I was just going to say these are people driving around who are authorized to use lethal force. Yes. And, and it doesn't end with the cops. The military is going through the same thing right now. Uh, remember, they were trying to do a purge of white supremacists from the military. But you can't purge these generals. And Trump definitely made some inroads in making friends with those white supremacist generals. So what do we do right. when one uh, group of generals say, well, this guy's president, and I'm taking orders from him. And the other group of generals say, this guy's president, and I'm taking orders from him. What do we do then? Because now you got the, the military defied as enemy combatants. It's rough. It's it's definitely rough. And, you know, just uh, listening to also what was brought up in the recording from uh, Barbara Walter again. You know, like I said, there's so much out there from her because she's an expert in this area. You know, she's she's seen it all over the world. In this clip, she mentioned Ireland and... Yugoslavia, two huge, huge civil wars. In fact, I remember growing up, you know, during the 80s, I didn't know what it was all about. This is always the IRA fighting, you know, the the Irish Protestants and Catholics fighting each other for years over there, you know. And, again, she's an expert in this area. And then they capped it off, you know, speaking about, uh, Buffalo, and like you said earlier, before we can even really get to know the names of the people, because I don't know any of the names. I have to look and see the names because no sooner there was that, it was, okay, well, that's what you did. Well, let me show you. I'm going to top that. And we saw what happened in Uvalde, Texas, and just all the crazy news stories that's coming out of there, Max. She uh, said that there was two things that really showed that America is going into civil war. She said the way of, let me see, what's the two, a partial democracy, right? That's the first mm-hmm. thing, which is what we have. We've been downgraded from a democracy by the uh, international community too. And then also ethnic entrepreneurs. Isn't that such a nice way to say what? something like, you know, these murderous, serial killing, mass murderers, <laughs> you know? Ethnic entrepreneurs who exploit Yeah, when she said it, I'm like, okay. Yeah, when she said that, I said, okay, I'm going to have to look this up because those two words don't even go together. Yes. So she's mainly talking about, like, the Trumps and all the underlings, that, like uh, Mm -hmm. Ted Cruz and all those that 
uh, following his lead, ethnic entrepreneurs, they're exploiting these differences in order to gain political power and in order to gain control. And even if it leads to death and destruction for them, it's worth it because they're sociopaths. They have no sense of empathy. They don't care if you die. As long as it's not them and theirs, they're perfectly fine with their losses. Like I said, if this thing pops off, it's not them that's going to be doing it. <laughs> not at all. You be out there defending for your life or fighting for a cause that somebody else is making billions off selling arms. Yeah, and like when I heard her say ethnic entrepreneurs, the first thing that came to my mind was ethnic cleansing. You know, because I mean, traditionally, when you hear about ethnic entrepreneurs, you're t- you're talking about you know basically people that come from other countries and they set up shops in their own little neighborhood selling to each other. You know, like creating their own little economy within the global or the U.S. economy. You know, uh, you could have, for instance, where I live, it's a you know a very strong population of Central America where I live and most of the stores around here cater to that population, you know, so that you would hear that as an ethnic entrepreneur. And that's why I thought it was just a strange usage of her saying that, because again, I immediately thought ethnic cleansing and from the clips that we're hearing from cops and from other people, that's what they mean that they want to actually clean us out and get rid of us. Right. That's the end result of this ethnic entrepreneurs who create violent division is ethnic cleansing. One side wins. And guess what happens to the other side? Well, set them back four or five generations, as he said. (laughs) Wipe them off the face of the map. That's what the cops Mm -hmm. said in uniform. And this is not new to us. This is what we keep saying. It's just expanded. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, I was reading a article from Buffalo, for instance, back in 1983, where the title Mm -hmm. said, Buffalo is now a city of fear. And apparently, they had a serial killer there who was going around killing black men. And he was doing it with a small caliber rifle, a twenty-two, And uh, he must kill about a half a dozen people uh, before they finally caught him. But let me read just a little bit of this article about Buffalo. They said, Hate literature was distributed throughout the city in the form of licenses to hunt coons and back to Africa boat tickets on the Cunard ship line. Black police officers reported seeing composite drawings of the murder suspect on bulletin boards in some of the city's precincts, offices with My Hero and Man of the Year written under them. That was in 81. And they said a suspect has since been arrested and he has been judged not to fit to not fit to stand trial, but the killings have stopped. Still, word from friends in the city and news reports since then indicate things have gotten worse. Buffalo has become the dark side of the American dream. That's Buffalo, and look what just happened in 2022. It's like, what has changed from 1983? Nothing. And I know the argument might be, well, this guy came from 200 miles away. <laughs> Okay, and it's still in Buffalo. He came because of what? Right. Because they had a, a large black community, concentrated black community. That's why he came. So the targets are still the same. He could have came from West Japan. It's still the same people being targeted. Yeah, Joseph Christopher was his name. 
former Army private who terrorized Western New York. They dubbed him the 22 caliber killer. He actually died in prison. Listen, if you want to join this conversation with us, call us at 515-605-9814. Remember to press 1 on your keypad so that puts you in queue and we know you have a question or comment. 515-605-9814. Yeah, man. I'm not going to say I'm afraid because I ain't fearing nothing, but I'm so concerned with the safety of my babies. My daughter just graduated from college a few days ago, right? Uh, shout out to my daughter, Kimberly. And that's a soft target. That's the type of place they would attack, a black com- community sure. college. That, that's the place sure. where if you want to kill people and get away with it, you can do it real quick. And they had me worried just because of that. It's particularly out in Maryland where there's a, a large black community. Um, and then right. my grandbabies graduated, too. <laughs> so I'm at the grandbabies' graduation, and I'm looking around for these people. You know what I mean? I'm like, I hope they don't come trying to shoot little infants because nothing is beyond uh, their capability to do. They have done it. This is not new. They've done it. They burn churches. They burn hospitals. They tear down entire communities. They shoot people in the back. They handcuff them. They stomp them in the head. They dash babies' heads against the rocks. Gator bait was a thing at one time where they would feed our right. children to alligators. Right. It's not like right. it's a different people. And and it's why they don't want uh, critical race theory taught. And, you know, it was just funny coming across. I think we have a video of uh, Ron Johnson blaming uh, critical race theory for the Uvalde uh, shooting. Yeah, the elected uh, senator official. from Wisconsin. Yeah, Ron mm-hmm. Johnson, senator from Wisconsin. That's the same place and where more than one in two black men are behind bars in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, with the highest right. rate of black incarceration in the entire country. What did he have to say yeah. about CRT? He blamed it on CRT and wokeness. And wokeness. And surprising, uh, surprisingly, because he was on Fox Business with uh, Neil Cavuto, and, you know, it caught Neil off, and he was like, well, wait a minute, school shootings have been happening long before CRT even became news. Like, so you can't blame that. And I think the producers, you know, cut the clip at that point. But he was damn sure trying to blame it on CRT. Oh, yeah. And it's like that movie, Don't Look Up, right? <laughs> like, why would you not want to be woke? Why would you not want to be aware of the reality of your circumstances? Why not? Yeah, why not? That does. So, and and just just on the topic of Uvalde, uh, you know, a lot of news has been coming out about the police response in Uvalde, or lack thereof. Because they didn't even engage the person, and I think he was inside for 30 to 40 minutes. And they basically cowered. We know the same thing happened at Stoneman Douglas down in Florida. You know, the the police officers ran. You know, and so it made me do some research on that. And I actually came across information where the U.S. Supreme Court has made a ruling stating that police have no duty 
to protect the public. And I have an article here. I'd like to read from the article. And it says, let's go back 11 years to February 2011 in in, uh, New York City. As he told in an interview some four years ago, Joseph Lazito was on his morning commute through New York City when he hopped on the subway, blissfully unaware of a brutal stabbing spree. Many of us remember this from a couple of years ago, perpetuated by Maxim Gelman that had been going on for over 24 hours at that point. Lazito would be the final victim in the stint. After Gelman boarded the train and confronted the police officers that were in a secure area, he turned to Lozito and said, you're going to die. What transpired afterward was that Lozito described as what every man thinks about at least twice a day. Lozito tackled Gelman and they struggled physically with Gelman stabbing Lozito in the head until they both hit the ground and Lozito disarmed Gelman. Only then did the NYPD officers intervene to apprehend Gelman. This is all going on right in front of the police officers. In this case, one of the officers allegedly admitted that he did not intervene in the altercation but he thought because he thought Gelman had a gun, instead hiding from the attacker. This prompted Lazito to sue the New York the city of New York. He lost the case in twenty thirteen, but not because the Supreme Court judge didn't believe him or because he lacked evidence, or because the cops had a good reason for not intervening. Lazito lost because of a precedent established by the US Supreme Court that cops do not have a duty to protect you or anyone. And it goes back to a case in 2005, and we'll have the, uh, the Supreme Court case up on our, on our Abolition Today Facebook page. It's Castle Rock or Gonzalez versus Castle Rock, where uh, this woman, Jessica Gonzalez, had a restraining order against her husband and the husband came and violated the, the protective order, murdered her three children. And she lost at the Supreme Court because even though the order required arresting a husband upon violation, Antonin Scalia successfully argued that a well-established tradition of police discretion has long coexisted with apparently mandatory arrest statutes. So basically what it's really saying is it's up to the, the cop's discretion whether to intervene or not. So here's further reason, you know, going back to this Civil War topic of how people have to be prepared because that whole uh, to protect and serve that's on the side of every police car in the United States is really a bunch of BS. You know, we know it's about control. We know it's about uh, protecting government property and protecting the elite property, but it's definitely not about protecting you as the individual because the Supreme Court has clearly laid it out in several cases, the Shaney versus Winnebago County Department of Social Services. You know, they say they do not have this duty to protect you. So you're going to have to protect yourself. Max? Yeah, that's what they're telling us about everything now. we got to protect ourselves, which is why I said we need to – I mean, we need the Black Panthers back with – marching along the street, guarding and shit. But it, just be yourself and, and guard, guard and, your And look at their full name, the Black Panther you know? Party for Self-Defense. For self-defense. It was all about self-defense. Right. Um, and we are being hunted right now. Uh, we are targets as minorities for the, uh, the evil that is murdering children and the elderly 
and the d- disabled and the young uh, women and girls disappearing. I mean, and, and it all comes from the system of slavery. Like, for instance, right, in Tennessee, now, mm-hmm. Tennessee is always in the damn news for the wrong reasons, man. Always. They are about to make it a felony crime to camp on local public property. And they've got a few rules to it, and they claim that nobody's going to much enforce it, but I don't believe any of that. If you're making a law, then the cops are going to arrest you for it. And they say Mm -hmm. that the law requires the violators receive at least 24 hours notice before an arrest, meaning I come today and I say pack up your stuff and go. Now, in this climate, where people have lost their homes, their jobs, their fortunes is gone, and the homeless is, is through the roof more than any place else in, on, on the globe, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. And you're going to tell people that if you're not, if you're here tomorrow, parked in your van and it's public property, living out of your car, you're going to prison. You know what they can send you to prison for? Six years, and there's an and there. And you're going to say, mm-hmm. why the hell? Would they add this to it? But it's six years and the loss of voting rights. Now, what the hell does your voting rights have to do with you being parked on public property and being charged a felony arrest for camping on public property? What's your voting rights got to do with that? And why specifically target your voting rights? Right. That speaks volumes right there. That the fact that they added that there and the loss of voting rights. So they're already criminalizing the person for being poor. And then on top of that, you know, anyone that, you know, wants to have any type of reform that can help the poor, they can't even cast their vote for them if they're convicted under this. And you're right. You know, how many times do we hear cops talking about, I'm just doing my job? You know, so, yeah, if it's on the books, they're going to enforce this. They're not just putting that there. Yeah, they're going to enforce this, and they're going to selectively enforce it. They're going to selectively enforce it. (sighs) And we know who's going to be targeted by this because we know who's affected by homelessness and poverty. Right, we know where it starts. Right, and they're going to disenfranchise us even further. We have, what is it, six to ten million people who can't vote in this country right now, the large majority of them being black people, descendants of uh, enslaved people from America, who are the main ones that can't vote because of felony disenfranchisements. And now they want to increase that number because they don't want anyone by caste, class, or race to be able to challenge them in a Democrat democratic election or through any way, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want any challenges, so they're removing your rights to vote. They've been doing it since 1865. Uh, well, since you got citizenship, they've been doing it. Since the 15th and 14th Amendment, they've been doing it. Right. So now Getting we're going to – more crafty. This, this is right. – this, on the surface, you know, just looking at it, I'm like, okay, here we go with another black code. It's the In people the worst. Right. You, you, you're because making your victims not have power. I'm sorry to keep right. interrupting. Go ahead, brother. No, it, it, it's all good because we're both equally frustrated, upset behind this. So quite naturally, we have a lot to say behind it. 
Uh, yeah. Man, I'm scrolling through all the news that we have, and it's just so much that's here. You, yeah, like we got so much stuff. Like the court decides whether Happy the Elephant deserves basic human rights. Like we people don't have basic human rights. Are you talking about right? Here we elephant. go. People are homeless. They're getting ready to face six years in prison, but they want to fight for Happy the Elephant. For you know, just the like elephant. they fought for. That's like they fought for the five orcas at SeaWorld. You know, fought for their human rights. So they want to fight for animals, but they don't want to fight for humans to have human rights. Happy is from the Bronx Zoo. Guess who else was part of the Bronx Zoo as an animal in a cage? Oda Binger, Mm -hmm. the black man that we talked about here on this show and played the music about. uh, The same place. So you want Happy Elephant to have human rights, but you want to keep him in a cage and own him. But you're not worried about the people having human rights, right? Our rights ain't worth defending. So that's just an example of some of the news that we got here today. Uh, I know a big one is the Supreme Court case that just came out, Yusuf, uh, in regard with oh literally God. they're trying to keep people in prison in violation of their Sixth Amendment right. So they've now basically rewritten the Sixth Amendment, which guarantees you to counsel, right? You're supposed to have common mm-hmm. counsel. But now, because of the Supreme Court, if you find out that you had incompetent counsel or that they were working uh, with the police to uh, keep evidence or information out or working with the the, uh, prosecutors to do the same in corrupt cases, you can't even challenge it. Done deal. Sorry, we can't revisit that because what did you say it applies to only the initial case and not the uh, appeals? I'm going to try my best not to go on a rant. You know when I start getting into these court cases that really, you know, lights a fuse under me. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, the decision was written by Clarence Thomas. And Clarence Thomas is either the world's greatest coon or he's so ignorant that he doesn't realize that when he's being used. And the reason I say that is because during his entire tenure there, he wouldn't open his mouth when Antonin Scalia was on the bench. Scalia made a ruling, and he just basically concurred with everything. But the only time they would pull him out is whenever he had to, whenever they need to bring forth something that we know that's going to largely affect black people, most famously Gruda versus Bollinger. That's like one of the greatest uh, rulings that's dealing with affirmative action. And now this one. So when you start talking about a person in their on their appeal, they go it's two it's two phases to an appeal. So you say, for instance, a person cops out or they lose trial. Uh, besides the actual direct appeal, they also have the opportunity to appeal based on ineffective assistance of counsel. And when you're, when a person is arrested and they're on the, the lower level, that's called the trial court. And so when they go to the appellate division, they get to a, appeal based on ineffective assistance of counsel of the trial level. But what's been happening is, many of the appellate attorneys are also providing 
ineffective assistance of counsel. And because of this Supreme Court ruling, there's nothing they can do about that. Nothing. They limit it to trial court. So it's basically saying you got screwed in trial court. You're now in the appellate division. You got screwed again, and, hey, you're screwed, buddy. That's it. There's nothing that you can do about it. That's what this ruling says in a nutshell. That it's, it's you're doubly more, screwed now. You've exhausted your remedies, and it's all yours now. There's no other remedy for you. You're taking hope away from people who have been wrongfully convicted. And when you take hope yeah. from a man, you turn him into a beast of prey. Um, yeah, and we know who it who it greatly affects because one thing about ineffective assistance of counsel, a person – so remember I talked about the appeal. So – if a person cops out, generally, they're going to lose their right to a direct appeal, meaning about the case, because they've copped out. They've given up that right. So they only have really the right to appeal, you know, based on ineffective assistance of counsel. Uh, when they When they lose trial, you know, they have both. Lost my train of thought. I'm just so upset about it, I lost my train of thought for a second, Max. But uh, when they – when they, I'll pass it back to you for a second. I'm upset right now, Max. <clears throat> yeah, I, I can dig it, bro. Um, when they pass Supreme Court, redefines the Sixth Amendment in the middle of people's cases and where they were trying to get out because of the wrongful convictions that – so permeate our system. It's just the heaviness of that oppression and the finality of it is overwhelming. Um, and that's yeah. the type of pressure we live under every single day, knowing that this is a system built for us to capture people who are not white. Uh, white people get caught in the net, but it, as we mentioned last week, numerically speaking, it's overwhelmingly affecting non-whites more than anybody else. Uh, three quarters of the country yeah. are considered white, it's, you know, and the rest of us is under this boot right here. And I was reading uh, some articles from newspapers back in the 1800s through the Black Chronicles newspaper. I have a, a copy of that. So I, I often go through the book and read these articles. So let me read one of the uh, things that I that came out around this time. It says, revolt follows three years repressive legislation. The revolt in Virginia has occurred three years of oppressive Southern legislation. Remember that Southern legislation that Frederick Douglass warned about? He, they mm-hmm. said Virginia, in April of 1839, made all meetings of free Negroes or mulattoes for teaching, reading, or writing unlawful. This crime may be punished by 20 lashes for a black and a $50 fine for any white involved. Georgia lawmakers in 1829 prohibited the circulation of pamphlets of evil tendency and punished those teaching any black to read or write. Evil tendency sounds like CRT, right? In 1829, North Carolina made illegal the sale of firearms, gunpowder, or lead to any slave who did not have the written consent of his master. Penalties included three months imprisonment for white and 39 lashes for Negroes. In 1830, a North Carolina law provided that anyone circulating literature intended to excite insurrection 
conspiracy or resistance in the slaves or free Negroes was for a first offense to be pilloried. What the hell is pilloried? I'm going to have to look that up. I think I know. Yeah, but I got to look be that sure. one up. Pilloried? Yeah, Negroes was the first offense to be pilloried, whipped, and imprisoned for one year. A second offense is punishable by death without clergy. The law also death without clergy. Like, we're going to kill you, and we ain't even going to let you talk to God before you go. Like, you ain't going to be able to talk to God's man before you go. We're just going to kill you. The law also makes teaching slaves to read or write illegal. Counting, however, is permitted. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. God. Okay, so more if you here. can think of uh, one of them wooden blocks that has a hole for the head and a and and hole for the arms, for the arms and, and they just make them stand like there. That, right? Wow. Yeah. Excite insurrection, conspiracy, or resistance in the slaves or free Negroes for a first offense. And then the other one says, the North Carolina law requires that all Negroes emancipated after 1830 leave the state within 90 days. A Negro resident who remains out of the state for 90 days is not permitted to return. This prevents free blacks educated elsewhere from returning to teach others. <laughs> wow. Get out and don't come back here with that old education thing that you be talking about. Right. We don't want you to read. And if you come back reading, guess what we're going to do to you? And then the last two is in 18, 1830, Louisiana lawmakers compelled all free blacks who entered the state since 1825 to leave. All the free blacks. We don't want any black people here that ain't under our control, who we don't own. That was Louisiana. And in Mississippi, hmm. the last one, since 1829, any slave who strikes a white man with an intent to kill is to be lashed 100 times a day for three days. A hundred times a day for three days. Imagine that cutting into your skin a mm. hundred times a day for three days if you strike a white man who has intent to kill, with intent to kill. So if you catch this white man raping your daughter or your wife and you strike him with the intent to kill, that's your punishment. They're not going to kill you because you're like a horse. They don't want you dead. You don't serve no purpose dead, but they're going to break you. And you're going to wear the scars for the rest of your life if you survive it. This is what we've had to go through. And these laws and the Supreme Court rulings that they're doing now is just the 2022 version of these things. You know, with that wow, saying Max. said, we, we should go to the next track, man, and hit our music break. Yeah, we definitely need to take a break, take a break for a second. <laughs> yes, Ooh. yes. Uh, the next one is Stephen Marsh. He's another expert on this. He's the author of The New Civil War, and that's going to be followed by Marilyn Manson's Killing Strangers. And I know some people might say, why are you playing Marilyn Manson? Didn't we tell you we're going to let them speak for themselves to that in their own damning words? Well, here we are. Mm -hmm. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Yusuf Hassan and Max Parkinson. And we'll be right back after this. Abolition, Abolition. Abolition. Joining us now is Stephen Marsh, author of The Next Civil War, Dispatches, from the American future. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Really appreciate it. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Uh, make your case about what you see coming from your perspective in Canada, uh, looking down in more ways than one uh, on the current state of affairs in the United States. 
Well, I mean, the United States is a textbook case of a country headed for civil war. It has all the attributes that lead to what the sociologists and economists and historians call a complex cascading system, hyper-partisanship, environmental degradation, high levels of inequality, and low levels of solidarity, as well as, you know, declining faith in institutions and a a rising tendency to violence. And, you know, more or less what I see uh, broadly is a struggle over the meaning of America and that expressing itself through violence. You you say in your book, you say the United States is coming to an end. The question is how? In your view, how? Well, there's, I mean, the book offers like, it's speculative nonfiction, so there's many different ideas of how it could do. I mean, it could be a conflict with a sheriff who decides not to obey the mandates of the federal government. Um, It could be sort of a broader terrorist act that causes martial law to be imposed. I I think the the point of the book is really that uh, America political landscape right now is very dry tinder. Uh, It is, it is rife with uh, the possibility of violence. And, you know, you know, less than 20% of Americans have faith in their electoral system. Uh, a recent poll said that 33% of Americans believe that violence against your own government is sometimes warranted. Um, you have these conditions that are ripe for for conflict and which we've seen everywhere else in the world, right? Um, you know, America is an exceptional country, but it also doesn't really defy the laws of gravity and that it doesn't defy the laws of political gravity. And so it is it is now coming, you know, sort of it's, it's, it's sown, the, uh, sown the wind and it's about to reap the whirlwind. Uh, you know, the, I think the, the way it's going to fall apart is really the struggle between chaos and order. It, it won't look like the, the first civil war with, you know, boundaries and borders and like pitched armies. It'll look more like insurrection and insurgency and fragment, fragmentation, fragmentation at a very, very low level. Every, every fragmented everyone, fragmented everyone. This world doesn't need no opera. Careful operation We don't need Bigger knives We got guns We got guns We got guns We got guns Dynamite, we just 
here in America that, you know, once one of the government falls, then the whole thing falls. And so we, we're like seeing faith in the yeah, voting process, for instance, like faith exactly. in the voting process. Exactly. I mean, that's a key element of the government, the key element right there. So once that fails, and in fact, I think we had a video of someone, oh, no, it was talking about a military takeover being the mm-hmm. end of democracy. So, you know, you have the the government, you know, the the chief executive of the U.S. government is the president. You know, he's called the commander-in-chief. And here's how close we came to the end of democracy. I mean, one, you had the QAnoners, you know, with the expectation that Trump was going to have the militia come and arrest Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton and a whole bunch of other people at the inauguration and just basically take the government back over. Now, until Joe Biden is sworn in, Donald Trump is still the president, and it's something that could have been done. You know, it would have been really crazy for it to happen, but as he was the he was the chief executive officer. He was the commander-in-chief of the armed forces. Now, whether or not the military would have followed him or not, but it definitely would have been the end of democracy because we know that that whole change of power thing is governed by, I think it's the 12th or the 20th Amendment, and, you know, it's all these procedures that go into place. What if it's something really crazy? I, I bet it Matt? wasn't for lack of trying. I bet it wasn't for right. lack of trying. I'm pretty sure he tried to get them generals on his side during this, this election and probably got word from, like, we don't have enough guys. We need, like, three more guys. <laughs> three more generals got to get on board. or something simple like that. It's like, damn, I don't yeah, have they three have, more. Yeah, they have fail-safes in place, you know. And, yeah, they probably had to have a certain number to agree to it. But that's just how easy it could happen. You know, you talk about this complex cascading system, and you may, you bring up the great point of that voting, which is the – I mean, that's what democracy is, right? The cornerstone it's, of U.S. That's the democracy. cornerstone of democracy is the right and, and to vote. One person, one vote, and every vote counts. Allegedly. That's what they tell <laughs> us, right? W- well, we know historically, you know, we North Carolina and Tennessee are always up in, in the news, you know, his, especially when it comes to historical news. So when you talk about an elected government, I mean, we go back to – the uh, insurrection of uh, 1898 that occurred in Wilmington, North Carolina, where, you know, pretty much the vast Hold majority of you the go government. On. Isn't that the yeah. same city that these cops are talking about the Civil War and they can't wait because they're going to slaughter Ex- black people? Exactly. The exactly. Exact I was going to make the connection. Mm-hmm. I was going to make the <laughs> connection. So historians have described this uh, insurrection of 1898 in Williamson, Wilmington, North Carolina, is the only coup in U.S. history. And this was a situation where a violent white mob decided that they wanted to overthrow the government, the duly elected government of Wilmington, North Carolina, but consisted of, you know, mostly blacks. So they destroyed black businesses, murdered black residents, and forced the elected local government to resign en masse. And that same day, as the insurrection took place, they stripped the voting and civil rights from the state's black population. 
and they face no consequences behind it. Sounds kind of familiar, right? You know, storm the Capitol, and, you know, there's really, like, no real consequences behind it. A bunch of scapegoats. While the people who orchestrated walk free. Right. And so they're telling you, you know, we got guns. Don't they always tell yeah. us that? We got That's guns. That's what Marilyn I mean, Manson was saying. Uh, and yeah, then what is a, uh, He said, uh, we're killing strangers so we don't kill the ones that we love. A.K.A., we ain't got no love for you, Negroes. <laughs> right. And he, and he kept saying it. He said, blow us a kiss and we'll blow you to pieces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and just the same way that they had the violent groups show up for when blacks wanted to register to vote in the South, then the same thing happens. You know, they show up in different areas with their their uh, assault rifles and, you know, their mask on and everything and trying to intimidate people. Nothing has changed with that. Listening to Stephen Marsh, the author of the new Civil War on uh, this track, one of the things that stood out for me the most was the clarity with which he expressed the circumstances. He said mm-hmm. they had sown the wind and they're about to reap the whirlwind. Uh, both him and uh, Barbara Walter uh, said mm-hmm. basically the same thing. They, the stages of this civil war have already begun. They've already gotten mm-hmm. past the first couple stages. We're in like part three of it right now, and it's only going downhill from here without an immediate solution. And this little petty bickering that we see them doing in the halls of mm-hmm. justice and politics is not the solution. You've got to hold these people accountable because they're going to preempt you, Democrats, and do it to you. If you don't do it first, it's, it's almost inevitable that if 24 comes along and Trump is allowed to run and he does not win, you can rest assured that there's going to be a, a, a coup if we make it that far. There's no reason this guy should even be walking the streets right now legally. Like, he's guilty of so many crimes and his followers. And you allow people to get up on a stage and tell the whole world, when do we get the chance to start killing these people who are stealing elections? Who's stealing elections? Well, didn't Trump put a hit out on the election workers? Was it in Georgia where the two women uh, had to live under fear of death? Because he called them out by name, and then they got docs, and then he said that they should be killed for treason. <laughs> election workers. People are afraid to work as election mm. workers now because you might get murdered. Mm, mm, mm. You know, I, I found <laughs> we have this uh, poll finds majority of Americans worried about another civil war. And then uh, another poll conducted would favor it said 52% of Trump voters and 41% of Biden voters would favor blue and red states seceding from the union those are, those are big numbers Max you're talking about half of each one basically right. half of each for uh, different reasons for secession yep I, I, I see why the North want to do it. That's where all the money's at, right? Just like back in the day where they had the textiles and the industry, you know? And uh, I see right. why the South want to do it because they're just sick and tired of, of, of having to deal with these non-whites. Like, they want their own thing. They want their 
Confederate states to be back together, and they don't want us to have anything to do with it. The oil, the wealth, all that belongs to them. All the land belongs to them. It's their land. It was their land before they got here. Remember ain't that uh, the Manifest Destiny doctrine that all you got to do right. is show up and the doctrine it. of discovery. That's it. And the doctrine it's of yours. discovery. <laughs> Making their own rules as they go along. And meanwhile, the thing that supposedly unites all, the U.S. Constitution and our various state constitutions, are not even being uh, defended. We're not going by those anymore. There's, those rights are gone. They're treated like privileges. The Supreme Court just rewrote the damn Sixth Amendment. <laughs> Don't get me back on that one, Max. Yeah. <laughs> The, the the one thing that I did want to mention to, to clarify my statement from earlier, that when a person pleads guilty, then almost all of their appellate rights are gone, with the exception of being able to do a post-conviction relief, a motion for post-conviction relief for ineffective assistance of counsel. A person who goes to trial and loses, then there's, you know, a fuller appeal that they have. They have greater appellate rights. But at the same time, as the Supreme Court just said, you know, that there's no there's no relief for ineffective assistance of counsel on the appellate level, which is just crazy, just saying that, thinking about that again. But I'm not going to go off on a tangent there. But it's it's really crazy when you think about it, you know, that, yeah, they say that, that, yeah, they put a, a, a severe limitation on the Sixth Amendment, Max. Which was already a myth, right? Because the Sixth Amendment also right. guarantees you to a fair and speedy trial. But we also know that that doesn't really exist. We've had people on this program who had been in prison for three, four, five years without a trial. Um, we mm-hmm. know of cases that have gone up for as much as a decade, 12 years without a trial. Most jails, right. particularly in communities, with uh, high black populations are filled with people who have been in those jails for three and four years without getting out. They call it in Chicago, and someone called me from Cook County Jail, and he told me they call it being SOL'd, and not the general term of SOL, but it means sooner or later, you know, that they'll do something with your case. You right. know, that's your next court date, SOL. Part of the Sixth Amendment is uh, – where you never actually get a trial because 95% of all federal cases uh, end mm-hmm. in a plea bargain, end in a plea bargain, which is actually unconstitutional. So you're only getting 5% of the people who actually get a trial. And who's the ones handling the trials? Well, 95% of all prosecutors are white. Mm-hmm. 95%. 83% of white men. white men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, exactly. So who do you think is they're sending to these prisons and jails through these plea bargains? Take a guess. You only get one, and you already know what the answer is all day long. If you go to any courthouse that has a black community anywhere nearby, you'll see it filled on one side with defendants by black and brown people, and the other side with the judges and such you'll see normally is all mainly white people. It, it's mm-hmm. like you're back in 1850 all over again. Just go to a court. All over again. Especially on the days when people come in to pay their fees and fines. Because the extortion is it's, crazy. Yeah. So we have and, one more track. Yeah, I was going to lead up into that. We we got 
just to show how serious things are. Because, again, mm-hmm. we're not telling you what to do. We're just telling you what is happening and what, and the what they're saying. Are saying and what the people who are proponents of a civil war are saying. What's happening around you right now, You, this is a need-to-know basis. And you need to know for the sake of your family and your community. You've already seen the death and destruction they're capable of enacting. But they're going farther than that. They're taking over entire governments. Out in Cottonwood, they had a white militia uh, that took over Shasta County, California, using a recall as well as a couple hundred thousand dollars that was uh, given to them by one of their racist allies. And uh, we'll let you hear that track, as a matter of fact, and what he has to say, because it's going to piss you off. But the truth hurts, and we're here to bring the pain. This is the Cottonwood Militia member, Carlos Zapata. He's in the uh, Shasta County, California recall hearing, and it's on Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. We'll be right back after this. Abolition Today. Modi, his family and supporters, face threats from militia members and their allies, including militia member and mask opponent Carlos Zapata over public health measures and what some saw as insufficient support for gun rights. Okay, here's some of that video. Uh, I don't blame you for wearing masks because I'd be hiding my face too if I was you. I'm telling you right now that right now we're being peaceful and, and you better be happy that we're, we're good citizens, that we're peaceful citizens, but it's not gonna be peaceful much longer. Okay? And this isn't a threat. I'm not a criminal. I've never been a criminal. But I'm telling you, good citizens are going to turn into real concerned and revolutionary citizens real soon. That we're building, we're organizing, and we'll work with law enforcement or without law enforcement. But you won't stop us when time comes because our families are starving. Because this is a warning for what's coming. It's not going to be peace and what's longer. It's not going to be raw rah It's not going to be speeches. It's not going to be gathered outside saying a pledge of allegiance. It's not going to be waving flags. It's going to be real. When you've seen the things that I've seen, I went to war for this country. I've seen the ugliest, dirtiest part of humanity. I've been in combat, and I never want to go back again. But I'm telling you what, I will save this country. If it has to be against our own citizens, it will happen. And there's a million people like me, and you won't stop us. That man, his side, won. Everything he says, he means. I believe that. Law enforcement in this country, leaders, community members, we have to take seriously these individuals. They are dangerous. Modi's ouster, the guy who's the sensible one, gives the majority of the five-member board to a movement aligned with the Cottonwood Militia now. The militia now controls the local government with his likely replacements as either construction superintendent Dale Bell Ball or school board member Tim Garman, who are separated by only 33 votes, and each of them celebrated their victory with known militia members of that local community. No matter how this works out, the militia is now in charge of one American jurisdiction, of one local government. They got one now, okay? Locked and loaded. Okay, um, let's put up a picture of the billionaire that funded the recall. 
It attracted the interest of Connecticut film producer who donated $450,000 to the Recall's Political Action Committee nearly two years after donating $100,000 to the uh, campaign of the current supervisor, Patrick Jones, who celebrated Modi's ouster. Uh, The 60-year-old spent years unsuccessfully battling the county in court uh, because of business deals. All right? So now they are in control. Abolition. 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 Well, there you heard it. Cottonwood militia member. He's really the lead member. Carlos Zapata speaking on the uh, Shasta County, California recall hearing. And you heard narration from uh, Dr. Rashad Ritchie on his uh, show, Indisputable. And we just had this conversation, Max, when we talked about the complex cascading systems. We talked about voting. 33 votes made the difference. And And then to hear what he said, you know, like saying, look, we're not going to be outside marching and doing the Pledge of Allegiance or any of that. He said, you better be glad we are peaceful. But we ain't going to mm-hmm. be peaceful much longer. And we're not coming out to talk. They are so planning a million three of us. strikes. Yeah. <laughs> and we're not taking it seriously. They take over government. And this is the one we know about. We're talking like they got one. Nah, oh, bro. This is the one you just found out about. They're silent right. on the others. They got them. You can trust they got them. Entire counties where everybody in it is being controlled uh, are basically white racist uh, militia or Republicans or just straight up sociopaths that are running everything. It would, it's not the first time. This is their playbook. It's a strategy. You saw them attempt to do the same thing on the gubernatorial level in California with the recall there. Their man in play. Uh, it's a strategy, and we're acting like it's not real. Like they wouldn't do that to us. I'm a slavery abolitionist. Yusuf is a slavery abolitionist. Most of the people listening to this program are slavery abolitionists. We know what they're capable of. If they'll commit this crime, which is a crime against humanity, that is like secondary, taking over some some states and counties and governments. That's secondary. Right. (laughs) So, again, the proof is in the pudding. It's in their own words. And, And this man was not arrested. He was not thrown into jail. His white privilege allowed him to stand up there and say, we about to start murdering people. And basically giving the information for free over the public airwaves to his listeners and supporters to say the time is near. Get ready. Mm-hmm. We are not going to come out talking in the next run. So, yeah. We're not taking it serious, at least not the leadership. is, not, And it's the worst possible time. But the best possible time for a coup, we're facing uh, a war with Russia, where we're now having a proxy war openly with Russia, supplying arms to the Ukraine from the United States and manpower, too, and training. And Russia knows all mm-hmm. of that. So they're looking at it as a war, an attack by the West against them. And at any moment, it's possible to lead to a nuclear circumstance. We're doing the same thing with China now, where we're sending military-grade weapons and arms over to Taiwan. And we just told Taiwan, without big-ass mouth, um, Mr. Incarcerator President, that, you know, if you do, we would defend Taiwan with arms, that we would go to war for Taiwan, that all these people in America 
will say, yeah, let's go kill our sons and daughters for Taiwan. That, that That's going to happen. And now China has surrounded Taiwan with their army, basically, calling it a training. They could attack Taiwan at any time just because America is divided with Russia and all these other things that they're involved in and an internal dispute at the same time. It's perfect timing for anybody that wants to go against the West right now. Right. Uh, I just wanted to say, because uh, I see we have one of our California callers on the line, and I'm hoping she called in to speak about uh, Cottonwood. So if you uh, are listening and you want to call in, we have time for a quick call or two, 515-605-9814. Remember to press 1 on your phone so you can be put in the queue. Uh, so I'm just putting that out there. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Nuve. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bye. Nuve. Uh, welcome back to the program. Nuve Brown, everyone. She's the editor of the, what is it, San Francisco, San Francisco what is it? Bayview Magazine. Bayview Magazine. Uh, did I say Nuve? Uh, it's actually, can you hear me? Newspaper. Yes. Newspaper. Yes, yes. So the National yes. Black Newspaper. Yes. Right. Yes. So listen, we're right like the in Black the middle. Chronicles. Yes, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, we have these publications out there, you know, because, wow, being able to control the the narrative in some respects um, is, is essential. And, again, just so, so much love for what you all do here every Sunday. Um, so I just want you to know that I unfortunately have only been able to kind of listen in piecemeal uh, because uh, we are – right in the middle of layout for the newspaper. It has to be in by uh, tomorrow, latest at 5. So, But um, I, I have to say that from what I have been hearing, it is, it is frightening to me what's taking place. And, you know, it reminds me of what our – uh, who are now our political prisoners and prisoners of war in our state and federal prisons are, um, you know, our political prisoners and our prisoners of war, you know, they've been in because, you know, the, the, the country was at war with them during the black uh, liberation movement mm-hmm. and all, right. Not, and all of the, all of the oppressed people's movements at that time, Puerto Ricans, the, um, you know, what were called the, the American Indians at that time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all oppressed peoples were, were being suppressed viciously, mostly by COINTELPRO. And, you know, so we've got 40 years plus later, these prisoners of war, these political prisoners dealing with this, what we're dealing with right now. So it, it concerns me because... We know what they, uh, what um, you know. We know what the system will do when people. Um, well, first of all, they. I don't know if they have. I don't know how they can feel threatened, but but they do because this is now a sickness. We've had too many. You know, we've had centuries of of this um, kind of conditioning of how they're always um, feeling. Uh, like they're under threat, even though they are the perpetrators, they're the thieves, they're the rapists, they're the the uh, the, the killers and the and the murderers and the mm-hmm. like. 
<laughs> you know, as the Sada Shakur has said very eloquently. Uh, but it concerns me because there, people are, you know, when they're when they're going to have to. It just concerns me to think that, um, you know, that defense is going to uh, land people um, killed and or mm-hmm. uh, captured again. You know, I feel like you know we're we're kind of in living history again that's about to take place. Oh, for sure. And the only thing that I'd have to say to that is, you know, when you have a group of people who are used to being in power and everything just go their way, equality feels like oppression to them. And that's what they're going through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and they also don't even realize, like, if we just take the white male who feels under uh, under threat, they don't even understand because they're ignorant, right? That their own government has put them in this position. It's them that's that's done this to them, you know. Right. With the uh, you know um, what is the uh, the mortality rate, right? I mean, more white men are are committing suicide through opiates opiates than anyone. That's the largest of number of people government. dying from guns. <laughs> Suicide is the number one uh, lead of gun deaths. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But they don't see it. They are so, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I think, that, you know, this is just part of the, uh, of the, the symptom of capitalist imperialism and modern-day slavery. The upkeep of this, and yeah, so their own people are killing themselves, and they've they've got themselves um, believing that it's because of the other, just like just like Hitler. Really, the white man got a god complex. Yeah, yeah. The last part. They're willing to take their own people out, as as well as everybody else. Yeah, it's oh. Yeah, so I, I have to admit, I, it's frightening. And this it's information that you put out there, which I really think people need to know, and, of course, you know, I will be sharing with my son but as well, but it, it is, it, it, it's frightening. And, um, uh, but, but, you know, what are they, what's, the, what's the phrase? Um, well, something is well-armed or um, what's that phrase? It's better to know. Basically. Better to know. <laughs> forewarned is forearmed. Forewarned yeah, is forewarned is forearmed. Thank you. Yes, that's mm-hmm. the one I'm looking for. <laughs> yes. Well, so, that's so, Nube, so. Yeah, yeah. Sister Nube, yeah. I really appreciate your call. We're just short on time right now. No problem. Uh, Thank you. But Indeed. definitely yes, feel free to call in. And- you- you reach out to us at any time, you know, love having you call in and love talking to you. And, you know, we're looking forward to meeting with you on your podcast as well. Absolutely. Yes, Absolutely. Prison Focus Radio. Um, so check her out on Prison Focus Radio. All right, All right brother, um, thank you so much. Again, big up what you do. Peace. Thank Peace. you. Yeah, we didn't take a stand here. We were just saying this is what's happening. This is the reality of things. This is in their own words. These are the experts talking. If you want to ignore the signs of the times, that's on you. 
but I'm going to make sure my family and my community is as safe as I could possibly make it. And I'm going to play my part to continuing to bring down the structure of slavery and genocide. Uh, we've got some big news coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. Real big news. I don't want to spill the beans right now, but uh, the abolitionist mm-hmm. movement is about to get some big stamps. Uh, and that's going to happen in the next two weeks, just before Juneteenth. So follow our work to make sure that you stay up to date on this stupendous uh, announcement coming out in a couple weeks. Uh, with that being said, I want to thank Sister Nubay for calling in. I want to thank our listeners, as always, for supporting us all across the globe. Uh, I, I am so appreciative of our supporters. And if you want to help, remember, uh, we can, we you can always send in donations to the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center. Uh, I'll share that information with you at the end of the program. Yes. Yes. Uh, ditto the thanks for the support. Thanks for Nubay. Thanks for our all you know listeners that come in. Thanks for all the new listeners. Uh, just want to get into our closing segment where we thank our sponsors and partners. Jailhouse Lawyers, the I Am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Sama Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, Black Talk Radio Network, and the Abolish Slavery National Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash abolition today. And our Facebook page, which is Abolition Today. For all the news, information, and music you hear on this program, also, if you have any content that needs to reach us, our email addresses are it's max at abolitiontoday.org, and it's yusuf, Y-U-S-U-F, at abolitiontoday.org. Also, text end the exception, one word, no spaces, to 52886 and follow the prompts so you can send a signed petition to your congressional reps in support of the proposed 28th Amendment to repeal and replace the exception clause to the 13th Amendment. Now, our Bridging the Gap segment tonight is going to be something that is going to really resonate with you all. It puts a cap on everything that we heard tonight. And it's an excerpt from Malcolm X's famous speech, The Ballad of the Bullet. And it's going to include topics, uh, the American Civil War, Race War in America, Stop Singing and Start Swinging. This is from April 12, 1964, at the King Solomon Baptist Church in Detroit. It's going to be accompanied and followed by Bob Marley, War. So we'll be back next Sunday, God willing, June 5th, with another master class on slavery abolition. So until next week, protect yourselves. Think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Peace. Abolition. Abolition. The Civil War was also fought on this continent. Not to free the black slaves that is commonly taught in the white man's schools, but the Civil War was actually fought to preserve the Union, preserve this country, keep it intact for white people. It wasn't fought to set you free. It wasn't fought to give you some kind of emancipation. It wasn't fought to make you a citizen. It wasn't fought to give you civil rights. It wasn't fought because they respected you and loved you as a human being. It was fought out of greed. It was fought out of selfishness. It was fought to keep this country intact for their own white selves.
only means that the American white man fought the Revolutionary War to get this country for himself. And he then fought the Civil War to keep this country intact for himself. And today, he will now fight a race war to keep from having to share this white country on an equal basis with anyone else but his white self. Especially on an equal basis with his 20 million former slaves. So again I ask, where will all of these demonstrations end? And who dares to say that our people are not justified by demonstrating their resentment over the injustice and mistreatment that our people have suffered these 400 years at the hands of this cruel, inhuman American white man? We have nothing to lose but our change. We have nothing to lose but the hell we experience every day living here in these rat-filled slums. America is faced with her worst domestic crisis since the Civil War, or since the Revolutionary War. For America now faces a race war. A race war is worse than a Revolutionary War. A race war is worse than a civil war. A race war is a war in which no holes are barred. A race war is a war in which children are destroyed, in which children are mutilated, in which children face the same destructive wrath that grown-ups face. The race, a race war is the worst war that you can conceive. And this war, race war, that is coming upon the head of the white man is something that he is bringing down upon himself. The entire country is on the verge of erupting into racial violence and bloodshed. Simply because 20 million ex-slaves are demanding freedom, justice, and equality here in America from their former slave masters. 20 million so-called Negroes, second-class citizens, seeking human dignity, seeking human rights, seeking the right to live in dignity as a human being. And rather than give genuine respect and recognition to your cry for human rights, the American white man answers your nonviolence with violence. He answers your prayers and your freedom songs with false promises, deceitful maneuvers, and outright bloodshed. According to what we are taught from the white man's textbooks and his school, the Revolutionary War and the Civil War were two wars fought on American soil supposedly for freedom and democracy. But if these two wars were really for the freedom and human dignity of all men, why are 20 million of our people still confined here in America and enslaved by second-class citizenship? Something is wrong. The truth is that the Revolutionary War was fought on American soil to free the American white man from the English white man. The Revolutionary War was never fought to provide freedom and democracy in this white country for the black man. Our people remain slaves here in America even after the Declaration of Independence was signed. In fact, most of the white founding fathers who signed the Declaration of Independence were nothing but slave owners themselves. It is sheer hypocrisy, sheer ignorance, sheer insanity, and it is nothing but hypocrisy for the American white man to pretend that the Revolutionary War was truly a war of independence 
as long as 20 million black people here in America are denied the privileges of an independent people. So today, though Islam is my religious philosophy, my political, economic, and social philosophy is black nationalism. As I say, if we bring up religion, we'll have differences, we'll have arguments, we'll never be able to get together. But if we keep our religion at home, keep our religion between ourselves and our God, but when we come out here, we have a fight that's common to all of us against the enemy who is common to all of us. Whether you are, whether you are a Christian or a Muslim or a nationalist, we all have the same problem. They don't hang you because you're a Baptist. They hang you because you're black. They don't attack me because I'm a Muslim. They attack me because I'm black. They attack all of us for the same reason. All of us catch hell from the same enemy. We're all in the same bag, in the same boat. We suffer political oppression, economic exploitation, and social degradation. All of them from the same enemy. The government has failed us. You can't deny that. Anytime you live in the 20th century and you're walking around here singing, we shall overcome, the government has failed. This is part of what's wrong with you. You do too much singing. Today, it's time to stop singing and stop swinging. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, in case you don't know, that you got a new, you got a new generation of black people in this country who don't care anything whatsoever about us. They don't want to hear you old Uncle Tom handkerchief head talking about this is a new generation. If they're going to draft these young black men and send them over to Korea or South Vietnam to face 800 million Chinese, if you're not afraid of those odds, you shouldn't be afraid of these odds. And when I speak, I don't speak as a Democrat or a Republican, nor an American. I speak as a victim of America's so-called democracy. You and I have never seen democracy, and the generation that's coming up now can see it and are not afraid to say it. If, if you go to jail, so what? If you're black, you were born in jail, in the North as well as the South. Stop talking about the South. Long as you're south of the, long as you're south of the Canadian border, you're south. This is why I say it's the ballot or the bullet. It's liberty or it's death. It's freedom for everybody or freedom for nobody. America today finds herself in a unique situation. Historically, revolutions are bloody. Oh, yes, they are. They have never had a bloodless revolution or a nonviolent revolution. That don't happen even in Hollywood. Revolutions overturn systems. Revolutions destroy systems. A revolution is bloody. But America is in a unique position. She's the only country in history in a position actually to become involved in a bloodless revolution. All she's got to do is give the black man in this country everything that's doing. It'll be the, the ballot or it'll be the vote. It'll be liberty or it'll be death. And if you're not ready to pay that price, don't use the word freedom in your vocabulary. Until the philosophy which old one race superior and another inferior is finally 
and permanently discredited and abandoned everywhere is war it's a war that until they're no longer first class and second class citizens of any nation until the color of a man's skin is of no more significance than the color of his eyes. Mr. War, that until the basic human rights are equally guaranteed to all without regard to race. This a war. The dream of lasting peace, world citizenship, rule of international morality, will remain in but a fleeting illusion to be pursued, but never attained. Now everywhere is war, war. And until the ignoble and unhappy regime that holds our brothers in Angola, in Mozambique, South Africa, sub-human bondage, have been toppled, totally destroyed, where everywhere is war. Hi, my name is Jeanette Smith. I am a slavery abolitionist. Some of you may know me. I'm doing this recording because I would like to ask if any of you can help with some financial assistance. Max and Yusuf do not like to ask for money, so I would like to ask on their behalf because they and other abolitionists pull money out of their own pockets, and this is so important. So if you can help, you can find the information at the top of the Facebook page for Abolition Today. Thank you.